Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. I see that I did my homework out of here. Okay. Hello, 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 hello. I apologize for being three minutes late, but my God, we were in it. Woo! It was like, see, I feel like I need to go run around the block and hug a baby. It was so good. You're just uh, getting into that. That's Ernest Holmes, man. Really onto something. Really onto something, that guy. That whole spiritual truth thing. Powerful. We were just reviewing that part um, in It's Up to You where they gave that wonderful example of, uh, you know, what we are, how God is all of us. And it inspired me to remind everyone that, you know, like we are all like drops in the ocean. God is the ocean. So God is the entirety of all. And the entirety of all is in every aspect of us. doesn't necessarily mean that we are the entirety but we are a part of it. And it's, it's such clarity, such beautiful clarity. So that when we say all the spiritual qualities of God are pre-installed in us, that means all of the spiritual qualities of God are pre-installed in us because God is all we are. That's all we are. And so our process in this human experience is simply a process of purification. We are purifying our thinking. We are purifying um, our minds, so that we remember the truth of who we are. And in remembering it about ourselves, we must remember it about all people. And in remembering it about other people is when we are able and available to support miracles and healings in everyone. And that, when nations can see that we are one with one another, that is when we can experience uh, fulfill our commitment of world peace. So as practitioners for an inspired spiritual community, our goal, everything we do, everything we say should be in alignment with the vision of world peace, meaning we see uh, the innocence, the purification, the perfection in everyone. And we go forward as that. And we, and we um, allow our curriculum to unfold, the curriculum that is supporting us and remembering our divinity to unfold without judgment, remembering that we are um, always allowing, uh, knowing that our greatest good is unfolding for each and every one of us. And um, though it may feel like a challenge, though it may seem like uh, chaos or upset, that it is always uh, opportunity to heal that which no longer serves us so that we can more clearly do what we're here to do. So we can remember, stand even stronger in our faith, in our conviction. Um, there's this wonderful, see if I can find it really quick. I want to read it to you guys because it's such a good reminder. I love teaching so much. Um, I love this material so much. Um, 
Okay. Uh, God is that which I am, though, of course, infinitely more. This is not a question of opinion. It is not so because we think it is so. It is so because it is so. <laughs> it's just we're just God, period. We're not, not God because we hope we are, because we think we are. We're just God. So get over it. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, let me just do a little, um, I'm getting into our talk shoot page right now online. Um, here we go. All right. So I heard Brian Bucchiarelli giggle there. So I know Brian's here. Yeah. And uh, Amina. No, Amina. Uh, Kelly. Yep, I'm here. Chris. Chris. Oh, Chris is actually not going to be on the call today. Chris and Mike are not on the call today. Mike is on a... Remember how Mike was talking about having to sew his own jeans last week? You guys remember yeah. that conversation? Yeah. Well, he's on a cruise to the Bahamas. He's on a cruise this so. week, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> Talk about uh, instantaneous healing. Um, okay, Brian, Kelly, Sushant. Yes. Hello, Sushant. Uh, hey. Hey, Patsy. Here. Mar. Here. Hello, uh, Tom. Sir. Great. Steven. I'm here. Um, one, two, three, four. Amina, are you back yet? How about Lisa Lucius? Uh, here. Hi, Lisa. Hey. And who am I forgetting? Anyone? No? Not everyone? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, so Chris, Mike, and Amina. All right. Cool. Um, beautiful. Oh, my gosh. So we are going to just dive in today. Uh, we're going to... Uh, Go get through these two chapters, and um, oh, they're good chapters, guys. Holy cannolis. Are they good? And they will inspire lots of conversation. So we're going to be very studious today. But really quick, is there anyone that would like to share anything um, while we're here? Any breakthroughs, any ahas? Hi, gang. I found a, a nice little quote that I like that I wanted to share. There's a man who walks beside me, and it's who I used to be. And I wonder if you see him and confuse him with me. By Jason Isbell. I like that. Beautiful. That's interesting, Brian. I um, um, right before I woke up this morning, I was having a dream. There was a guy. I have no idea who he 
is or was supposed to be representing, but there was a guy talking to me, um, and uh, he started looking at me very strangely, and I said, uh, "What? what's the matter? And he said, it's weird, it's like uh, your, your face is backlit. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, it's all purple. And I said, oh, yeah, a while ago there was this light in me that turned off, and now that it's back on, it's a different color. Seems like a uh, in keeping with your theme. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and purple is the color of transmutation and alchemy, divine alchemy. So there you go, girlfriend. There I go. And happy birthday, Kelly. Thank you. We have a we have a birthday on our hands. Kelly is uh is turning uh thirty one this year which is <laughs> wonderful. Through the practice yes. of her practitioner program she has released ten years. Uh, I say a little more than ten, but that works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mar, why don't you pray us in and we'll get to reading. Okay. Mother, Father, God, I'm really grateful for this opportunity to join with all of you. I offer up any feelings of self-doubt or feelings of less than any insecurities, any feelings of not being good enough. I declare the truth of who we are and that we stand in that, that we are perfect, whole, and complete in every way. And I share this with everyone. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Brian, you're up first. Oh, you know what, Brian? I'm sorry. Kelly, it's your birthday. You're up first. Brian, you'll go second. Then Sushant. And then uh, Patsy. And Mar. And Lisa. And Tom and Stephen. One more time. So just get the person in front of you. And I, I will actually read after Stephen today. Kelly, Brian, Sushant, Patsy, Mar, Tom, Lisa, oh, Patsy, Mar, Lisa, Tom, Stephen, Jesse. So we're going to talk about the law of giving and tithing today, two very uh, talked about and heated topics. Tithing specifically often turns into a heated conversation, so I'm loving that we get to lovingly move through that conversation today. <clears throat> um, okay, uh, take it away, Cal. Okay, so discover the wonder of giving. 
In a book devoted to the theme of prosperity, it might be assumed that the emphasis would be on how to get. Perhaps by now you will understand why we say that such an emphasis is not only grossly materialistic, but it is also extremely misleading. Any study of prosperity fails unless it teaches you how and why to give. And that's precisely what this chapter is about. Giving does not refer simply to money. It is a process that may involve money, but it, is all, but it also involves your work and the many ways in which you make contact with life. Giving is basically an attitude with which you touch things. The word giving has become so completely identified with pious acts of philanthropy that it's difficult to think of the word without referring to the commercial of the church. The emphasis has been on what the gift is to and what rewards come from in the form of heavenly grace, a name on the stained glass window, and a healthy deduction on the income tax return. In the past 40 years, there's been a dramatic upheaval in the lifestyles of people in the Western world, brought about by the influence of a number of well-published revolutions, or well-publicized revolutions. The women's movement has brought about notable gains in terms of freedoms at home and at work, Computers have invaded and changed our whole lives. Sexual attitudes have become startlingly relaxed. Minority groups have moved up into the middle class in increasing numbers. But there's another revolution that has had widespread impact. It is the predominant attitude toward money and success and the acceptable methods of achievement. Gradually, there has evolved an emphasis on getting what you want when you want it at any cost. As we've said, some of the most widely read books in in recent years have dealt with themes such as assertiveness, intimidation, positive selfishness, and it's okay to be greedy. One writer talks about the new wave of Machiavellianism. In this, any means, no matter how unscrupulous, is justified in working for achievement. Getting there is all that counts, whether or not the person earns the right to be there. Ideas like this have come to popularity among people who are lost and confused in the world of materiality, people who have asked the question, what is life? And come up empty. (laughs) Thus, they have concluded that life is a competition among people who have no alternative other than to push aggressively out into the world, and strive relentlessly to get the most for the least. However, this misses the very important point that life is not lived from outside in, but from inside out. Unless we understand this, we miss the whole meaning of life. The purpose of life is not acquisition, but unfoldment and personal development. Even in the teachings of metaphysics, there has been a tremendous swing towards this revolutionary attitude towards money, and things. Thus, many books and courses by teachers of truth emphasize how-to techniques for demonstrating money and possessions and jobs and success. The constant theme is get, 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 get. Just hold the right thought and you can get anything you want, and the grossest level of materialism is reached when the truth groups are led in singing prosperity songs in which the refrain affirms money, money, money. A sad derogation of a beautiful spiritual process, this contemporary trend towards materialism is attributable in a large part to the sad neglect 
of the church in teaching the law of giving. Religious institutions have failed miserably in this respect, undoubtedly because they have been preoccupied with their own need to receive support. Preachers have talked of giving as returning to God a portion of one's income. Churchgoers have been lulled into a pious acceptance of this form of idolism. However, it completely skirts the issue of inward-rooted giving as it deals with an anemic God of the skies who bargains with us for a giving return. Jesus said, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Matthew 6:28. By nature's law, the lily grows and unfolds from a bulb to a flower. It is a discernible enfoldment from within outward. There is no obligation for the flower to return a portion of its fragrance and color and form to nature. There is no way it could do this even if it wanted to do so, because life is a forward-growing, unfolding experience. Don't miss the implication of this homely illustration. Your life is God's gift to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. Two men were engaged in an animated conversation. As the discussion grew increasingly heated, one of the men was heard to say, Just tell me one thing, what's in it for me? It is an attitude that is all too common. What's in it for me? Not how can I give more to the job or relationship, but how can I be sure that I get mine? An article on the editorial page of the New York Times recently discussed the lack of any sense of the old-fashioned work ethic among the new generation of people ages 20 to 30 moving into the job market. A personnel manager is quoted as referring to the new benefit bumps. He says that during an interview, these people hardly listen to the duties of the job being explained. They ask questions about salary, vacations, sick days, and other benefits and perks. They shop employers for benefits. That, to them, seems to be the essence of employment. Thank you, Patsy. They are ready to take but not to give. Once hired, the syndrome continues. They are chronically late in the morning. They take the longest coffee breaks and lunch hours, and they spend large segments of the day in time-consuming conversations. And then they get ready for the 5 o'clock quitting time at 4.30. The personal manager says that their skills are low and their motivation even lower. Further, they seem to suffer from strange maladies such as Monday affliction and Friday afternoon paralysis. They may be products of the spreading welfare psychosis that has afflicted countless families in the past generation. They seem to say to the employer, pay me because I'm here, not for what I can do. If true, this is a stirring indictment of the contemporary generation. Perhaps it is overstated, more of a caricature of the actual situation. However, anyone who has worked with people in the supervisory capacity will readily agree that there are two general types of people in life, the givers and the takers. A word of caution, please don't agree with this judgmentally. Thinking, oh yes, I know many people who are takers, We're not dealing with they or them. We're dealing with you. See it as a test for yourself. We're not trying to change others. Our goal in this book is to help you, you to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The takers are the people who believe that their lives will always be the total of what they can get from, uh, from the world. 
<laughs> they are always thinking get, get, get. They plan and scheme ways to get what they want in money, in love and happiness and in all kinds of good. No matter that they may be applying metaphysical techniques, they still may very well be takers. But whatever may be their spiritual ideals or lack of any, no matter what they take, they can never know peace or security or fulfillment. The givers, on the other hand, are convinced that life is a giving process. Their subtle motivation in all their ways is to give themselves away in love and service and in all the many helpful ways that they can invest themselves. They are always secure, for they intuitively know that their good flow flows from within. In the third chapter of John, 16th verse, is a classic statement so often repeated by Christian fundamentalists. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is commonly thought and taught that this refers to Jesus and that Jesus is the only begotten Son, and by believing in him we attain eternal life. The whole structure of the traditional Christian view rests on this foundational con- foundation concept, which is by and large a misconception. Um, Mr. Eckhart, a medieval mystic monk, gives the key that unlocks the true meaning of John 3.16. God never begot but one son, but the eternal is forever begetting the only begotten. In other words, God so loved you that God gave you that which is begotten only by God, only of God. While much of your human self bears the influence of your parental background and also your sociological experiences in life, yet there is that of you, the whole person of you, the self of you, which is begotten only of God. And if you believe what Paul calls the Christ in you, you begin to experience life on the eternal vibration. What a transcendent idea that you have. Let's read that over. And if you believe what Paul calls the Christ in you, you begin to experience life on the on an eternal vibration. What a transcendent idea that you have your only unique flow of the divine. This is why Emerson called Emerson talked of the need for each person to have his or her own first hand and immediate experience of God. However, the most important aspect of John three sixteen is for God so loved the world that he gave. God is the divine givingness of the universe, and you are created in the image likeness of this divine givingness. You cannot make any sense out of life or realize the flow, free flow of substance in your experience until you begin to see yourself as a giver. It may mean a complete turnaround in your approach to life where you think give instead of get. In your spiritual quest, you are seeking to establish yourself in a unitive relationship with the divine flow. You can never 
really achieve this level of consciousness until giving becomes the main thrust of your life. And it, when it does, when you discover the wonder of giving, you become unblushingly an incurable giver. Meditate long on this point, for it is one of the most important keys of the prosperity law. Life for the whole person is a giving process. We are not talking specifically about church giving, giving to charity, and so forth. There are many channels through which your, your giving may be funneled. We are talking about attitudes towards life, the basic awareness that life is a matter of developing or unfolding from within. It is knowing that life is not something to get, but something to express. It is the fulfilling awareness that your business is always the express business, no matter what name your worldly vocation may bear. There is an inspired painting by a German artist, Rosenthal, entitled The Blessing of Work. It depicts a young boy carving a life-size picture of the Virgin Mary. The almost completed figure towers above the young artist, and while he works intently carving the details of the feet, Mary looks down upon him with love and with outstretched arms, blessing him. While he is giving himself in the creative flow, he is dynamically receiving immeasurably in return. The painting reveals much more. Light is streaming through the open window, its rays bathing him with an aura of illumination. On a, lar on a large plaque on the wall, a heavenly choir is singing, singing paeans of praise directly toward him. By his side, there is what we assume to be a picture of his mother, which he is using for a model, and with, and with hands clasped in devotion, she is blessing him. Thus, the whole tone of the work suggests that the whole universe is rushing, streaming, pouring into the boy while he quietly gives himself in creative effort. It is a beautiful visual testimony to Jesus. Give and you shall receive. It could be cynically asked, what's in it for the boy? The sculpted figure may one day bring him fame and fortune. Or it could wind up in an attic somewhere, discarded and useless. But the important thing is, nothing can ever exceed or detract from the compensation that the boy is receiving at the instant while he is working. Even more, the sculptured piece could never be duplicated by one who lacks his giving attitude, which is an important facet of his genius. There are many skilled, even exceptional painters, sculptors, composers, and builders. But the real genius is the one whose skill is held up like an alien harp through which the winds of selfless giving blow steadily, creating ethereal music. Someone has said that architecture is frozen music. Perhaps it is true of all great art. Such is the law of giving. What's in it for me? You may be saying this of your present job, perhaps out of a feeling that you are not adequately compensated for the work you do and the responsibilities you shoulder. If you discover the wonder of giving, you will find a great blessing of inner fulfillment in your work, which will lead to better work, and by the law of causation, to a greater experience of affluence, which may come through your job or through many different channels. The law is exact. If you give, really work in a giving consciousness, you must receive. If you, at this point, still ask the question, what's in it for me, and you are being grossly underpaid, even if your salary is in the six figures, if all you get out of your work is a paycheck, you are shortchanging yourself. At, uh, oh, an itinerant preacher 
went to a neighboring parish to preach by invitation, taking his young son with him. As they entered the church, he saw a contribution box, and following his good instincts, he deposited a half dollar. After his sermons completed and the congregation had departed, the minister host said, we're not a very prosperous parish, and all we can pay you is what is in the contribution box. So he opened the box and presented the visitor with a half dollar, all that had been put in. The visitor thanked him and went his way, if not rejoicing, at least resigned. He walked in silence for a distance, and then the, young, and then the wise young lad said, Gee, Dad, if you had put more in, you would have gotten more out. Such is the great law of giving. Who has not exclaimed at some low moment of his life, My life has no meaning. This sense of meaninglessness is the greatest cause of depression and even of compulsive addiction in the form of overeating, alcoholism, and drug addiction. But you see, life doesn't have meaning. Only you have meaning. It makes about as much sense to say, my life has no meaning, as it does to stand in a dark cave with an unlit flashlight in your hand and say, this place has no light. Jesus would say, let your light shine. Meaning is not to be found out there in a job, in a person, or in a relationship. Meaning is something you release from within yourself. You put meaning into your work, into your experiences, and into every relationship with people. Many persons find great meaning in their lives through a kind of work that would be a drag to someone else. It is not the work, but the sense of giving in which it is done. When a young person begins thinking about career opportunities, she may ask, what is a good field to get into? It is a critical moment in your life. If she asks you out of respect for your experience and maturity, you are in a position to get to her with an insight that can be a blessing to her all through her life. She is standing at the crossroads with one road ahead leading in the way of getting and the other leading in the way of giving. If you are wise, you will answer her question by asking her another question. Do you mean what is a good field or what is a good field for you? She may then ask, but what field will pay the most money? You should wisely respond, that is a question you should resist as long as you can. In the long run, the work that will prosper is the work you can put yourself into with the most enthusiasm. If you take that which offers the greatest immediate return, you may well frustrate your own potential, even your eventual earning power. She may persist, but shouldn't I try to find a job with a future? You can then say, there is no future in any job. The future is in you. When you find your right place, you will release that which will make for a good and happy and successful future. The president of a great railroad was on an inspection tour when he encountered a laborer in a section gang with whom he had worked in that same work some 40 years earlier. He greeted his old friend warmly, remembering the old days. The tired old laborer said, Bert, you've gone a long way from the time when we were laying tracks together. The executive said, No, Sam, that is quite incorrect. You were laying tracks. I was building a railroad. Therein lies the difference. If you are a secretary, do you just type letters or are you helping your company sell products? 
If you work in a sanitation department, do you simply sweep streets or are you helping to maintain the health of the community? Analyze your attitude toward your work. Do you go to work with a sense of eagerness in the morning? Is your work a happy experience? If not, you're probably tired toward the latter part of the day and exhausted when you arrive home in the evening. You may attribute the exhaustion to the amount of work you do, but it is more likely the result of your resistance and resentment. You may feel unappreciated, underpaid, overworked, and it could be true, but your life is lived from within out. No matter what conditions prevail in your place of work, what happens in you is the result of your consciousness. You might find a coworker in your department who is perfectly happy there, The difference is not that he or she is treated differently, but that he or she treats the work to be done differently. Begin thinking, give, and the resistance and the fatigue that it spawns will quickly leave. One of the most significant phrases in the Bible is, wait on the Lord. Several references in Proverbs and Psalms. It comes from the Hebrew word kawah, which means to bind together. Thus, to wait on the Lord does not mean to sit down and fold your hands in the faith that God will do it all for you. The fact is, God can do no more for you than God can do through you. It is not inaction or procrastination. Wait on the Lord means to get yourself integrated in consciousness with the divine flow. It is so very important before undertaking any project to wait on the Lord in a conscious prayer experience in which you turn your thoughts inward and establish yourself in the flow of the creative process. It is an important moment, God's moment, before you go to work or before you set out to find a job. Just become very still and centered, sense the creative energy of spirit tingling in your fingertips, guiding your hands, directing your footsteps, putting words into your mouth, helping you to do the things that need to be done, to do them easily and to do them well. The first thing that will happen is that you forget that there is a reward dangling before you for the work you do. You will no longer be working for money. You will be paid, of course, but it will be an added compensation for doing the thing you love to do. You will have a strong urge to do all that you can to the utmost of your skill. There isn't a job in all the world that can't be done better than it is being done when workers change their attitude about it. And no one is doing right by themselves or their employer if they simply rock along, going through the motions of doing their work. If you want to work for the kind of consciousness that will maintain you in the giving flow, begin every day with the commitment, I will do what I do better and better and better, and I will do more and more of what I do. When you begin to understand this life principle, you will know that there is a wellspring of life, substance, and intelligence within you, and that yours is the privilege at any time of giving way to its flow. This may lead to one of the most important realizations that will ever come to you. If ever there's a lack of any kind, whether it is a need for employment or for money or for guidance or even for healing, something is blocking the flow. And the most effective remedy, give. You may be thinking, but I need to receive. My hands are empty. I need somehow to give me. But you see, under the law of giving, when things get tight, something's got to give. Look for some way to start the giving flow. Make a commitment to some kind of giving. 
not a bargain with God, for that is a kind of pious procrastination. Okay, God, if you do so-and-so, then I will do so-and-so, but you do it first. Rather, make it a covenant within yourself, within your, with yourself. It could be an offering of thanks to a place from which you have been receiving spiritual help. It could be greater giving in your work. It could be doing something for another person who's in need. It could even be simply giving away some seldom used possession. Something's got to give. It is so easy to get down in consciousness from the desperate need to receive. You might even think, when I demonstrate the supply, I will send a gift to the church. Why not give now? And if there is no money, go down to the church or some other nonprofit organization and volunteer your services. If you are unemployed, give into the giving flow by giving your services to the community activity or offer to help some young person who may be struggling in a new business enterprise or just stay home and keep your hands and mind involved and creative activity. Take some time to go through your attic and closets and drawers to find all the seldom used or never used possessions that can bless someone richly and derive a great thrill and spiritual fulfillment by giving. There is never a time when you can't find some way to start the giving flow, which in turn will open the way to the receiving of your good. Jesus clearly articulated the divine law. Give and it will be given unto you. The divine flow requires but one thing of you, your consent to be a receiving channel. It is like the water faucet which must be opened to the flow in order that the water may pour forth freely. Jesus was stressing the need to get into a giving consciousness in order to sustain the flow of good in your life. He did not mean simply giving money or money giving. Often the religious book or teacher would talk out of self-interest and insist that the giving must go to the church. The giving is a state of consciousness that may eventuate in many different ways. But the important thing is to think, give. Say to yourself, I will give today. Or I will think, give today. I will think, give every day of my life. The law is clear. It promises, think, give, and you will get. It is a fundamental key to achieving prosperity. A truly given consciousness is the creative alternative to the world, worldly emphasis on winning through intimidation or succeeding through positive selfishness. It is a better way. And a committed giver is an incurably happy person, a secure person, a satisfied person, and a prosperous person. When you discover the wonder of giving, you will wonder how you could have lived so long in any other way. It is the key that makes truth work, that opens the door to the good you have been seeking, and that gives life that added glow. It can be one of the greatest discoveries of your life. When you become a committed giver, you can no more go back to the old way of living than you can go back to the life in prehistoric times. There is a new world awaiting you, 
a new level of life that can open to you and a new experience of the dynamic dynamism of truth in which you have been been studying. Discover the truth the give, discover the wonder of giving. It is a better way and the day will come when you insist that it is the only way. All right, so there's going to be 15 minutes on the clock. Kelly, your birthday girl, you will be facilitating the conversation. The only rule of this uh, dialogue that each and every person I encourage you to participate in is that you are not allowed to reference other teachers. Keep the conversation to the material that you just read. So there will be a 15-minute discussion on the law of giving facilitated by Kelly. After the 15 minutes, I will conclude with a five minute, with the thoughts for five minutes, and then we'll take a break. Okay? Are we clear? All right, 15 minutes on the clock. Begin. Well, so we'll just kind of open it up to start. Did anybody, does anybody want to share something to start that jumped out at them from this material? on giving, which was great. I do. Okay. Go for it, Brian. This is uh, very close to my heart. Many years ago, when I didn't have a job, but I was, uh, I was a licensed massage therapist, and I was looking for a job. I was looking in the want ads. I came upon an ad, and you might have heard this story before, excuse me if you have. I came upon an ad for volunteers to provide massage for a group called the Heart Touch Project that was giving free massage to people with AIDS and, and other disabilities. And when I told my parents that I wanted to do volunteer massage work, they said, well, you need a job. How can you volunteer when you don't have a job? get a job first and then you can volunteer. And I said, no, I just, I need to do this. And I went and I volunteered and had wonderful experiences, you know, giving loving massage to these people. And one of the other participants in the program knew of a job opening at a massage spa in Los Angeles. And she gave me the reference and I called them up and I got the job. So by doing the volunteer work, I got, this job. Now, the, the job didn't pay much, but I loved giving massage, and I didn't care about the, the money. I cared about giving the best massage that I could. And after a year, I got a letter in the mail asking if I wanted to teach massage up in Northern California. It just appeared out of nowhere. God just dropped it in my lap. And so by volunteering, I got a job that I didn't particularly get paid well for, but I put everything into it. And then I got a job that I truly, truly loved doing. Just an example of, you know, go out there, give, give, give. And I didn't give in order to receive. It was never on my mind that I would get a job by doing this. I just felt called to do it. And it was such a blessing. So uh, thanks. That's my share. I love that, Brian. That totally relates back to um, – actually, actually, it just reminded me of one of the things I'd underlined in the chapter, which said, if you give, really work in giving consciousness, you must receive. And that's, like, totally what your experience was, that, you know, you really went in, it sounds like, with a heart of service. And yet, you know, all, this, all these beautiful opportunities kept arising for you. 
Stephen. Tell me. We get to hear about your work occasionally. So I'm thinking what this what this is bringing up for you. Um, I, I well, I underlined a few things. Um, one of the big things that uh, for me is on uh, 172, that whole second paragraph about uh, meaning, like finding uh, meaning in your life, and um, just the whole idea of meaning is not to be found out there in a job, person, or relationship. Meaning is something you release from within yourself. Uh, you put meaning into your work, into your experiences, and into every relationship with people. Um, I think it took me a long time to kind of to realize that, that I think, you know, I think every job has merit and every job needs to be done. And so I've always been very conscious, like, especially when I'm dealing with people that are in some sort of um, service position, you know, either a barista or a cashier or whatever, of like thanking them, you know, whenever I finish a transaction, because yeah, you're here and I don't have to make my coffee because you're here. Oh, thank you. So I just I love that idea that you know the meaning is meaning is infused and expressed through us, not by the stature of our job or you know the car you drive, et cetera. Traffic, you said something right. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, in my job, what I do, I really enjoy it. Um, it's kind of natural for me to be happy when I'm um, doing my job. But I always had this thing about how I hated the paperwork. And um, pretty much everybody I talked to pretty much said the same thing. You know, and then I struggle with that. and I, But I realize that every time I... Look at it in a different way. The paper, the actual paperwork. Um, I actually be. I'm able to think about the client, my clients, and think about them. And it is, it is kind of a cool experience. But for some reason, I didn't want to let it be a cool experience. It's kind of weird. But I noticed that um, that during the day, my mind likes to wander to get off of that giving and always want to think about the future and blah, blah, blah. Kind of naturally goes that way. And I noticed the book said that if you just think about giving, you're going to be happy. And I I testify that that is true. But my mind still wanders to, oh, well, maybe I should do this and blah, blah, this, blah, blah, that. That's not, you know... If you just stay in the flow, though, all those things will just happen automatically, I think. That's great, Lisa. You think, Lisa, is there, I love what you just shared. When you find that your mind has wandered, is there any tools or anything that you've developed that helps you get back to being in that mindset of giving? Um, you know, it's just like the first part of that is just to realize your mind does wander much of the time. It's a very large portion of the time that your mind wanders to other things. I think it's just a process. I, you know, I don't expect to, you know, I just expect in this lifetime to get a little, to get better at 
it and just keep a loving attitude towards myself and take small steps in the right direction in regards to my thoughts. I feel for me, we've been a lot about like my heart, like my heart space when I'm giving. Because I feel like when I'm teaching, I'm completely, like, open and giving, and my heart is, like, really open. But sometimes, even with, like, simple things of, like, listening to a friend, sometimes I find, like, I'll start thinking about something, and, and you know, I have to remind myself in terms of, like, coming from an open heart. Like, the energy given feels, like, so open, and sometimes I feel like when I'm giving... I have to check myself to see, like, if I'm feeling that giving in my heart as opposed to just doing it, like, in the physical world or in the physical form. Um, so that's been something that's been coming up a lot lately for me. And I think uh, what's helped me is, especially even with a simple exchange in terms of, like, money, like, you know, paying for something, like, to say that, like, that little blessing that we all wrote on Facebook, I think that's helped me quite a bit bringing uh, this giving energy and, uh, you know, this openness in simple things. Mm. Well, I say I love that you expanded the conversation beyond the work situation there, too. Um, the giving is, you know, giving is beyond just the job. It's, it's, I think it's a lifestyle. I think that was a really beautiful way of expressing that. So for those of you guys who haven't shared yet, do you guys have any thoughts on that, of the um, idea of expanding it outward beyond your work? And Yeah, um, I had an experience just this morning. There's a um, a little task that my mother several months ago asked me um, if I would perform for her, just a regular thing that she needs done um and uh i said sure no problem and uh i was doing it this morning and just feeling agitated the whole time it was just like oh my gosh it's just so much more involved than it was supposed to be and it's just uh this is frustrating it's annoying and i caught myself having those thoughts and uh and had to shift um and there were a few things that were part of just my monologue of shifting. And one of them was um, remembering all the ways in which my mother gives in her life, not just to me, but to everyone, um, from a place of joy. Um, she, you know, she's, she lives in a state of service and... Um, and I, I considered that and thought, oh, what a wonderful opportunity to be able to give as well and to give to her, someone who gives so much and ask for nothing in return. And uh, and then I, had, I, I considered all the ways in which I'm constantly receiving in my life um, in ways that are... Um, even understanding this concept of giving and receiving in the cycle there that still occur to me in ways that feel unexpected. And I realize that even that is something I need to adjust 
uh, that I should, uh, I, I, my desire is to live in a state of expectation for those things. But, um, yeah, I just this morning, that was a, a big consideration for me, just in general, just the flow of giving and receiving in my life and um, to go into the process of both of those things with, with joy and without any sense of, you know, quote, what's in it for me. Um, and I, I do want to make mention of one thing in the reading that's uh, a little tangential but obviously related. Um, I loved that section on uh, Meister Eckhart breaking down the concept of John 3.16 uh, and the idea that, uh, that that notion of the only begotten son or the only begotten child of God is not about being the lone uh, child but of... Uh, you know, being the offspring of love in a way that only could be from love. I just think that's a beautiful interpretation of that, that it's something that it can only be of God uh, as opposed to it being the only one of its type. Right. Susie, anybody want to add on to that or share with that? More thoughts? <laughs> like, like a seed, you know, looking back at Brian's story about him going and <clears throat> giving a massage, and I think of it as this being planted and, you know, nurtured by gifts a process opening of different things and this grows into this huge plant. It just makes me think, I mean, since we're talking about spiritual economics, it just makes me think of the past, you know, what economy used to be and in terms of, like, what work was meant to be the past, which was, you know, to bring pleasure. And then when the capitalist revolution happened, you know, it became the economy changed. Looking back at it, where work was once supposed to be a means of pleasure and joy and express your being through work, and when the industrial revolution happened, work became something that was thought of as bringing in more money. And so I think in spiritual terms, when things happen in our life, where you go through a period of being, you know, in sort of devotion or whatever, and then you... You have to experience life differently in the world. So in in reading this made me think of like, you know, Paul Marx and John Ruskin and Adam Smith and all of those people, even though they're philosophers against like capitalism and the communist manifesto and even Waldo and Emerson, all of these, like, uh, you know, people like that, it makes me think of this shift that happened in our consciousness where, where, the, where the meaning and the way work was perceived was changed and how it affected the outside world. And I feel now, you know, it's, it's like the conversation is coming back to, you know, work being what it used to be in terms of to derive pleasure from, to, uh, you know, the sense of giving. Uh, just the example in the book about the, the boy 
working on the statue of the Mother Mary made me think of like, yeah, you know, you're doing this job that you're so intent, so open, and you know, you're in, you're just like in this giving space, and unbeknownst to you, there's you know these blessings that are pouring out that that you never meant to receive when you were doing that, but they were just an outcome, kind of like in Brian's story. Beautiful, guys. That's 15 minutes. So, beautiful insights, everyone. Wonderful shares. I love all of the uh, takeaways you guys are expressing and sharing in the beautiful way that you are um, offering your insights. It's wonderful. It's like listening to poetry. The law of giving is effective because it's an aspect of God. God is life-giving. God is life-giving. Forward moving. Forward moving. There is no grasping in God. There is no taking from God. You know, God does not ask for anything. God is God and God is creative, period. And so when we give, then we are acting as God. Okay, we are in alignment with God. When we are, when we are giving from it just to give, and we call it in, um, you know, new thought, giving from the overflow. We are giving from the overflow. There is so much, there's an infinite amount of good. That's where we give from. And that's why they say if you are experiencing any sort of block or uh, any sort of depression because of, oh, oh, what is my life about, what's my whatever, you know, what's my purpose, I don't know what to do, la, la, la. Give, give, get in the divine flow. And through the process of giving, you are aligning with your true nature. You are creating uh, the channel to access God, your God nature. Remember, every part of you is God. So get in alignment with God and you will be in the natural creative flow of life. And you don't have to know how it's going to unfold, how your joy will express itself. It just will, okay? So that's why giving works. And that's why he said, too, it's not about just giving to the church. It's not just about giving to any one particular thing. That's the way that people manipulate and use to get your sources. But that's taking. That's them trying to get. Okay, so they're blocking their own good. So you give where you feel inspired to give, okay? And you give freely, and you give without expecting anything in return. That is including acknowledgement. That is including hugs. That is including praise. That is including thank you. That is including money. Give to give, all right? And this idea of, well, what am I going to get out of it? It's seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be added unto thee. We have become addicted to the all these things getting added unto us. We will do it, but we expect them to be added unto us. Well, the natural result of our giving is all things will be added unto us. But to let go of that belief that, you know, what that should be or what that should look like, or I'm only going to do it if I get this. Okay, so this consumer, um, you know, capitalism thing that is so painful for so many people is because it's about competition. It's about getting. That's not in alignment with your divine nature. Okay, giving is in alignment with your divine nature. You will receive 
naturally as um, uh, you will receive naturally uh, when you are in alignment and you are giving. You receive the gifts of God. But it's not about getting them, okay? Got to get yours. And it's a belief in competition and comparison and not enough. That la- there's no lack or limitation in God. That is impossible. So when we go from that place of, well, what am I going to get out of this? Then you're not in alignment with your divine nature. You will experience disharmony. You will experience frustration. You will experience disappointment. We give because we are children of the divine. We are tapped into an infinite resource. There is no limit to our bank account. Yes, and Jesse, I want to make the point that when I, when I shared the story, I'm not giving it as a moral tale that we should give in order to get a better job down the line. I never knew that I would get a better, better job. In fact, there was no better job. Giving a massage no, think, to a person think, with AIDS, giving a massage, teaching massage, it never was about a future reward. So I don't want people to get the impression that they should volunteer because they're going to get a better job down the road. Volunteer because that's your heart. Exactly. And I feel like you really shared that a really clear, beautiful story, Brian. And the one I I think it'd be good to write down and share in a blog or something as well. Um, (laughs) No, that was a really beautiful story. And yeah, you know what? All of our needs will be met, guys. That is the definition of prosperity. All of our needs are met. Not that it's raining cash. It's all of our needs will be met. So ask yourself right now, did you have, do you have food to eat today? Do you have a place to lie your head? Do you have, if you need to get somewhere, can you get there? If those are not there, then where are you blocking your good? Where are you blocking your prosperity? And how can you remedy it? Give. Remind yourself that you are prosperous. Remind yourself that you are tapped into infinite source. We give because it's what we are designed to do. We are designed to give. When we withhold, we are not acting in our natural state of beingness. We are taking on a different um, persona. When we withhold love, when we withhold praise, when we withhold our finances, when we withhold anything. It is contradictory to our natural state of being. Stop bargaining. Just give. Everything else will be added unto thee. Know that. And then continue to give. But if you are someone who is an overgiver because you are expecting something in return, if you are trying to outrun your loneliness, if you are trying to outrun your feelings of unworthiness, that ain't ever going to happen. Developing a codependent relationship with service, that's giving to get because you are giving to get acknowledgement. You're giving to get the praise. You're giving to get, um, you know, that even maybe you're even giving to get that martyr story. Look how much I give. I'm so exhausted because I give so much. Oh, my God. Do you see how much I'm giving? I'm working to the bone. That's giving to get. We give because it's what we are designed to do. When we are giving from overflow, when we're giving from that space, then uh, we're in alignment with God. 
Well done, guys. Beautiful insights. Uh, Four-minute break. I'll see you back at 1140. Keep your phones on, on mute, and we will pick up and continue um, our investigation into tithing. See you in a few. Okay, we are back. So, any uh, 
any lights go off during our little break? Anything that anyone else would like to share? Mar Hops, why do we give? Mar, are you with us? You are? Oh, yeah, sorry. I was uh, on mute. Well, we give because that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, I don't know that that's ever really been an issue for me, to be honest. I've, I've, I've never been somebody who's given to get, ever. Um, I mean, yeah, that's, that's never, it just makes me feel good to give. It's not about anything else other than trying to be of service to other people when you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, why does it why does it feel good to give? Because you you know for me it's just about being of service and helping other people and I don't know maybe that was just the way that I grew up I mean that was just something that I saw my mother doing and yeah. it was about anything else other than you give because it's the right thing to do. But um, it feels but there's something there though it feels good to give. Why does it feel good to get? I think for me, giving is, it feels good because it's just another extension of who I am. Yeah, um, and, who are, and who are you? And that extension of who I am is, is God. And, yes! And seeing other people and helping other people and seeing other people and putting a human face to something is an extension of who I am. I, it's just, it's never been about, it's always been about that for me. Yeah. Yes, you you hit it. You hit the jackpot. It feels good to give because it feels good to be in alignment with your truth. Yes, 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 yes. Right on, sister. Love it. I, uh, I'd like to share that um, this Thursday in Long Beach, <clears throat> two of our uh, practitioners in the other group, um, not that they're separation, but they just started this path after you guys, um, led, facilitated and led a small group uh, discussion and potluck in Long Beach for Inspire LB, Inspire Long Beach. And, um, like, 13 people showed up. And uh, they said that they could just feel the excitement and they could feel their excitement building for Inspire Long Beach. And let me tell you, 13 people showing up in our second month of doing stuff, it's a big deal. <laughs> it really is. You know, uh, it's it, uh, evidence to me that, you know, people are excited about this work, and um, so it's really cool to see that our community is growing down there. And uh, so, if anybody is interested in being of service and joining us, uh, 
not this next Thursday. Yeah, in two Thursdays, a week from this coming Thursday. Uh, we're happy to have you carpool. It takes, during rush hour, when we drive down, it, it really does. It takes two hours to get there. So uh, you have to be willing to listen to some audio books or talk with me for two hours. But um, And also, if anyone has uh, any recommendations of musicians, uh, I'd love to have a musician this next uh, Inspire Long Beach. So let me know. And, uh, yeah, so... Uh, really beautiful, and actually, I was reminded of that because the, the practitioners were talking about being a service and how cool it was to be a service, and you know how uh, you know driving down there, two hours, working through all of the you know things that came up, letting go of expectation, letting go of how they felt like it should look. All of it was um, you know just going back to like reminding themselves of service and why they're doing it, and and then it just started to flow and. More people started to show up, and more people started trickling in, and more people started trickling in, and they had a full-blown um, group on their hands. So it's a cool little experience, and one I'm happy to share. So if you uh, want to give a little prayer support or high fives to Brandon and Martha, um, they're really uh, taking on um, Inspire Long Beach. But Martha made me promise that it can't be on the same night as Bada Bing Bada Boom anymore because. She loves it so much. Bada bing, bada boom, by the way. Maybe like 40 people at bada bing, bada boom. Raised $400. Um, so if that's not a, you know, cool uh, expression of the energy and excitement of the community, um, awesome stuff, guys. Really, this is a very – buckle up for this year, everyone. Uh, it's going to go uh, lightning speed. One of my goals for this year, and let's all put that in, uh, planted in the seeds of our consciousness and pray for it is um, my intention is to raise a, about $500 a month to give towards the music program so we can give it uh, I would love to have Patsy, Mar and Daniel be able to perform every week <laughs> uh, my fellow bro- our, our house band I'd like to actually have a legit house band that we can offer um, you know uh, you know, do a little exchange there and uh, get some regular uh, congregational songs that we do collectively and host guest musicians. Um, I think that'd be awesome. So, and man, after and the, the deal was sealed after the skirball, after seeing those guys do their thing with like a legit sound system and all that stuff. Oh my gosh, that is the medicine. So let's all hold the space for that. Maybe we'll even do a little prayer around that today. Um, yeah, okay, so let's talk about tithing, shall we? We're going to do the same format. We're going to read, and then we are going to um, do a 15-minute discussion, and then I will speak afterwards. Um, and uh, uh, Patsy will facilitate this next discussion. And uh, the last person to read was Tom. And so, Stephen, you'll begin, and then me, and then back to Kelly. And Stephen, you might be on mute. Or maybe you jumped off the call because you had to go into work or something. 
Stephen going one, Stephen going twice. I will begin. Chapter 11, A New Look at Tithing. A study of the subject of prosperity invariably includes the practice of tithing. In most cases, it is taught with a a dogmatism that is unparalleled in the whole study of truth. Tithers swear by the practice and speak glowingly of the benefits that have come to them. However, many persons feeling the pinch of economic stringency have great reservations about it. The tithing idea is often given mystical roots dating biblically to the book of Genesis where Abraham gave a tithe of all he had to Melchizedek, king of Salem, to the king of Salem, who had blessed him. Uh, Today, there are whole religious denominations that require tithing of all their adherents. Many other religious groups suggest it is a helpful discipline, building on the foundation belief that that tithing is God's law. Many highly persuasive arguments are set forth. At the very... Sorry, at the very outset, let us establish the point that tithing is an excellent practice that we strongly recommend to anyone who is seeking to change his or her life from indigence indigence to affluence. And in this chapter, we want to probe deeply into the practice beyond the superficial, illogical, and materialistic way it is normally approached. Tithing is normally encouraged for all the wrong reasons. Some of the claims made and the arguments set forth make the tithing concept a gross materialization of a beautiful spiritual law. Is the practice of tithing a, fu- a fundamental? Wait, is the practice of tithing a fundamental in this new insight and truth? Is it biblical? Was it part of Jesus' teaching? Where are the origins, and how has it evolved to contemporary times? Bible students know that the Old Testament often refers to the practice of tithing. The classic reference is Malachi 3.10. Bring ye the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And prove me now herewith, saith Jehovah of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. It is a beautiful statement, sheer poetry. Who could take issue with it? Of course there is no reason to do so. However, neither is the reason to not examine the practice in the time of Malachi. Under Levitical law, the tithe was a form of taxation required of the Hebrews, a portion of the produce of the earth and of their herds. It wasn't a love offering or a charitable contribution at all. In a religious form of government, a theocracy, tithing has often been the method of creating revenues to support the government. Since God is the true ruler, it is easily rationalized that the government treasury is the storehouse of the Lord. In early Israel, under the leadership of Moses, the new nation was formed by dividing the body into 12 tribes. One of the tribes, the tribe of Levi, was singled out to serve as the priestly class. Again, in a theocracy, the government is managed by the priests. Thus, the Levites became the bureaucracy, and the system by which they were supported was the tithe. There was nothing voluntary about it. The Mosaic Code was rigidly enforced, and in some cases, infractions were punishable by death. 
This is the biblical source from which our contemporary practice of tithing has derived. However, the tithe did not originate there. Some form of tithing was practiced almost universally throughout all the ancient world. We find evidences of it in Babylonia, in Persia, in Egypt, in Rome, and even in China. Keep in mind that it was a tithing tax, which probably originated as a tribute laid down by a shrewd conqueror or ruler on his subjects. It may be assumed that the custom of dedicating a tenth of the spoils of war to the gods in time gave rise to a religious extension of the phrase, giving the tenth to God. Uh, it is highly likely that when Abraham gave a tithe of his flocks to Machilzadek, the king of Salem, paying a tribute to the ruler for safe passage of his land. Now, understanding all this, or possibly not wanting to see it, religious teachers and writers wanting to cite authorities for the contemporary tithing practice have pointed to all the many instances in the Old Testament where tithe is referred to. The argument that is usually used is if a tenth was required by law in those olden times, it is certainly no less that we should give it cheerfully now. Now, without judging the merits of tithing, isn't this line of reasoning somewhat illogical? Under their law, the Israelites were bound to many restrictive observances. There are references to people actually being stoned to death for nothing more than gathering wheat on the Sabbath day. So this was clear in fraction of the fans. But we do not put people to death in modern times for playing golf on Sunday. Ah, but times have say. But why should the rigidity of the tithing observance remain unchanged, even if it was a giving process in biblical times? Which it was not. Um, Jews seemed to make a career out of upgrading the laws and observances the Old Testament into the light and needs of contemporary times. For instance, with many of the commandments he said in essence, you have heard it said of old, but say unto you. Then he gave a practical insight for living. He was no rebel intent on breaking down the rule of ecclesiastical law. He was a Jew reared in the traditions of the synagogue. And he said, I have come not to abolish them, the laws, but to fulfill them, Matthew 5.17. If you are interested, carefully examine the Ten Commandments. They would appear to be a series of restrictive laws, outlining lines of conduct by which the Israelites must live. However, wise students of practical religion will break them down to their underlying essence, where they can see them as a supportive framework for the spiritually immature, Infants may need playpens and children may need fences to keep them from straying into danger. But as people mature, there must come a time when they put away childish things. For instance, a sign of maturity in teenagers is when they decide to come home at a, quote, reasonable hour because they need the rest for school the following day, not just because their parents say so and will take away their allowance if they disobey. So it is with the idea of, so it is with the idea of tithing. If we can accept the early practice as a form of mandatory contribution, then, as with the commandments, 
It was intended as a trellis by which we might be strengthened in our early period of spiritual growth. But the time must come when we let go of the rigid obligation so that we can spontaneously give in love and freedom and have the satisfaction that our giving equals or even exceeds the tithe. The discipline of tithing has been strongly stressed Pat, by many... You. Thank you, Patsy. Okay. Um, the discipline of tithing has been strongly stressed by many teachers in the field of new thought or metaphysics. In view of his constant attempt to upgrade the Mosaic laws and of his clear outline of the principle of abundant living, it might be assumed that Jesus would have much to say on the subject. Actually, Jesus is never quoted in, supporting of tithe, in support of tithing. The reason is obvious. He makes only two references to the practice, and in both instances, tithing is referred to as a practice of someone who is being criticized. In one of his tirades against the Pharisees, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weighted matter of the law. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a, a camel. This is certainly not a recommendation of tithing. In his parable of the Pharisees and the tax collector, the Pharisees stood and prayed, God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Then Jesus said that the tax, then Jesus said that the tax collector would be justified, not the Pharisee. Again, no tribute to the tithing practice. This is not to infer that Jesus condemned the practice of tithing. It is to realize that he saw the keeping of the rigid code of tithing as a ritual far less important than the weightier matters of consciousness. And since he did make reference to the subject, certainly if he had felt that tithing was a must in his high way of spiritual unfoldment, he would have stated a clear position. But he didn't do so. It is important to note that Jesus was very specific in his teaching of the law of giving. Note that we are drawing a definite distinction between the practice of tithing and the spontaneous process of giving. Give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. The Old Testament dealt with the law of giving, which is fundamentally supportive on the basis of the practice of tithing, which was completely coercive. Tithing was something the Israelites were required to do. Jesus taught the law of consciousness, that that one always has a choice, though one must live with the effects of his or her choice. You receive as you give, and if you would receive more, you can give more, but you have complete freedom. In Old Testament times, tithing was an enforced discipline laid down for people who did not have the spiritual development to work with divine law. It took its place alongside hundreds of laws and observances governing everything from sanitation to meditation. As training wheels on a bicycle help a youngster to learn to ride unaided, so all these laws were right and appropriate for the people of that day. This is not just that we may not be benefited by the training wheels 
in many aspects of our sociological and spiritual development. Certainly the practice of tithing is an excellent training process. One may read dozens of testimonials of persons who have gotten themselves on the road to a given consciousness and who have demonstrated success and prosperity through the disciplined practice of tithing. One classic example, William Colgate, before leaving his home in Baltimore to seek his fortune in New York, he was advised by a family friend, an old riverboat captain, son, whatever work you do, do it well. Take the Lord into partnership. Give him a tenth of all that of all you make, and you will never fail. Bill Colgate was the manager of a Manhattan soap farm, and a few years later he had his own business. He always set aside 10 cents of every dollar for charity. On his books, his donations were labeled Accounts with the Lord. As his prophet soared, he instructed the bookkeeper to increase the amount to 20% and later to 30%. Ultimately, he was giving 50%, and yet the more he gave, the more his business flourished. Among many philanthropic gestures at his time, gave life to was the American Bible Society, of which he was one of the first directors, and Colgate University, which now bears his name. It is a classic story of American enterprise based on the prospering influence of tithing. Stephen, are you are you back? Stephen, no? Okay. Um... It is unfortunate, however, and also misleading, that tithing is presented as a divine law rather than as a training discipline by which to work toward knowledge of the law of giving. Sometimes it is said that tithing is a magic tour for all ills. There is no magic whatsoever in tithing. If prosperity or healing results from tithing, it has come through the fulfilling of the law. As you give, you receive. Bicycle riding is based on the law of balance, working with the law of inertia. The training wheels have nothing to do with the laws by which the bicycle is propelled. They simply help the rider to experience the working of the law. Why do we insist on this distinction? Tithing is not an end, but a helpful means towards the end of living totally in a giving consciousness. Too often institutions sell the tithing practice as a way of achieving sustained support. Now, an effective religious organization is certainly worthy of support, but fundamental to this effectiveness is helping people to understand the full scope of the law of giving. Totally overlooked is the teaching of responsibility to lead the person to an understanding of the process of giving away to the divine flow. Little wonder that that some people refer to tithing as the commercial of the church, a tragic derogation of a beautiful idea. Books on the subject of tithing are often adorned with dollar signs, suggesting that tithing is an infallible way to get rich. Again, a sickening sickening materialization of a beautiful truth. To tithe as a kind of good investment, expecting to get back more than one gives, is not truly giving. It is a kind of bartering, a selfish attempt to work the law instead of letting the law work you. This materialistic approach to tithing is widespread, and ours may well be a voice crying in the wilderness. We ask only that the tither, or the person weighing the merits of the practice, think the matter through carefully. If people get into the tithe your way to riches and success consciousness, 
They are building their house on sand. With dollar signs in their eyes, they are more concerned with what they are giving to than what they are giving from. This need not be the case. It is a question of motivation. One needs to face up to some hard questions. Do I tithe to get things or to get a greater awareness of divine law? Do I analyze the effectiveness of my tithing on the basis of my income or my general well-being? Let us not be misunderstood on this point. Giving is a fundamental spiritual law. You cannot live without giving, as you cannot live without breathing. You inhale and you exhale on and on constantly. It is a part of the vital process of life. But there is no rule that says you must inhale so many cubic inches of air. It depends on your lung capacity and on the requirements in terms of your level of exertion. Now, it may be that a person is not breathing correctly, so a specialist may give the person some breathing exercises, which can be helpful in restoring balance. In the same sense, tithing can be an excellent program to help you become established in the giving-receiving rhythm. The principle is, as we stressed in the previous chapter, In any complications you may experience in life, the most effective road to overcoming is through giving. However, tithing is not necessarily the way to a giving consciousness. It is possible that you may neglect the consciousness of giving while you are enthralled with the magic of tithing. Here's an example. A person desires success and prosperity in her work. She's convinced that tithing will work its magic for her. After several months of tithing, when nothing shows signs of changing in her office, she begins to get discouraged. She feels that through tithing, she has paid her dues, so a promotion or raise in salary should come through. Yet if you analyze her job performance as her superiors do, you will immediately see that she does not give much of herself to her work, is not very effective, frequently arrives late, and talks to co-workers incessantly during the day. She feels that by tithing, things will change for her. It could be said there there is a raise in salary for her which will become effective when she does. She tithes, but she does not give. She needs to begin to think give, to become service-oriented, to go the extra mile, to be more creative in her work. Tithing can be a way of getting into a giving consciousness, but it is not a substitute for a giving attitude. The great need is to give way to the divine flow, and tithing can be an excellent means of achieving the giving consciousness. However, the giving must involve something more than writing of a tight check. Malachi refers to the whole tithe. This means all of us and not just all of our money. When Jesus criticized the Pharisees for tithing without love, he could have been implying that they tithed decimally and not spiritually. The whole tithe would appear to be exemplified in the incident where Peter and John were accosted by a crippled beggar at the temple. Peter said to the man, I have no silver and gold, but I give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. Out of this complete giving consciousness, the man was healed. Khalil Gibran, in his classic work, The Prophet, says, You give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. 
Give as in yonder valley the myrtle breathes its fragrance into space. Bring the whole tide into the storehouse. Could simply a commitment to work with the law could imply a commitment to work with the law in all aspects of life. Prove me now, God is saying. Prove the law in action. This involves going the second mile and meeting obligations, turning the other cheek in relationships, and forgiving until 70, 70 times 7. It means diligence in keeping the high watch of positive thinking and loving reactions in overcoming the world of tribulations. In other words, life is consciousness, so it is foolhardy to suppose that the law can be fulfilled by anything less than a total and broad commitment to achieving a high-level consciousness. Jesus gave prime emphasis on giving as the way to achieve this degree of consciousness. Give, and you will receive. Get the feeling of being a channel for the flow of good. Think give, and you will receive. Think of your work as giving. Think of every relationship as an opportunity to give. Give to your children, give to your neighbors, give to passers-by on the street. Think give. Give way. Let. And as part of this commitment to the giving consciousness, give of your substance graciously, wisely, and without thought of return. Think not of what you are giving to, for that can turn the mind to condescension or giving to be seen of men. Rather, think of, think of what you are giving from, and thus feel humble in realizing that you are simply giving way to the divine flow. Certainly, a helpful and practical plan for getting order and system into your giving commitment is the way of tithing. It makes as much sense as keeping a budget, and it can be given an appropriate recognition in the budget. However, it is wise to remind yourself that the 10% is simply a disciplined reminder to bring the whole tithe. The giving consciousness must continue where the tithe check leaves off. If one is sincere in the desire to grow and ultimately to put away childish things, a good plan is to use the tithing slide rule as a means of checking up on your spontaneous giving during the year. In other words... Instead of following the regular ritual of writing a tithe check, work for a commitment to give way to the divine flow on a sustained basis. Just let yourself be free as a joyous giver with no thought of contracts or bargains or great benefits of success. Take pride in the growing maturity you demonstrate throughout the year by giving the whole tithe. And then, at the end of the year, when you are engaged in an audit of your fiscal year for tax purposes, Total up your giving and see how close you actually come to a 10% giving performance. What a tremendous feeling of fulfillment you will receive when you know that your giving exceeded a 10. Now, it could be said you childish things for the whole tithe now means no tithe in the sense of obligation. Now you are joyously in the flow of life through a giving consciousness. For a person is essentially a giving creature, and life is lived from within out. On human levels of consciousness, one may emphasize getting and having as the prime goals. In spiritual consciousness, one seeks the way of giving and being. The crux of the statement and mouth I will, open. Open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. This is usually quoted to indicate that if you tithe, everything in heaven and earth will fall into your lap. But how conveniently 
in this instance, it is forgotten that heaven is not up there. Jesus clearly says that the kingdom of heaven is place and space, but an inner potentiality of imprisoned splendor that is released through you. Uh, that's the windows of heaven are in you. The windows of heaven are you. You are the windows of heaven, and you will be poured out as a blessing. <laughs> and because you are in the flow of limitless substance by reason of your commitment to the whole tide, the blessing that you become is more than sufficient to deal with any situation and to meet any of and all requirements. <coughs> the emphasis and <coughs> somebody else reads. The emphasis is often upon the giving is returning to us from God up there or out there from the world. Let us not lose sight of the principle that God can do no more for us than God can do through us. The receiving is always a greater flow from within. It may be a flow of love or guidance or life or success-producing ideas, but the receiving is in the same stream as the giving. The faucet is open so that it can give, and the more it gives, the greater the flow by which to give. It may provide refreshment and the means of cleanliness for a household, but it is simply busy giving of itself. It may seem impractically idealistic to say that the purpose of giving is not to receive but to give, and yet... The moment we focus on receiving, we begin to lose the flow of giving. As Jesus said, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Otherwise, you could become like the Pharisee who sounded a bell as he gave so that everyone would know of his great largesse. In the extreme, one might become, as Eugene O'Neill says of his Marco, he's not even a mortal soul. He is only an acquisitive instinct. Give to give to give yet more. This is the subtle and yet powerful meaning of the injunction. Think give. Let us hear less of tithing and more of giving. Let us not be deluded by claims of the magic law of tithing. Tithing is not a law but a technique to fulfill the law of giving. There is no magic in it whatsoever. Any more than... There is magic in the flow of water when the tap is turned on. There is no need for magic when one works diligently to keep in the flow of life. Understand, this is not to say one should not give a tenth or more of one's income. Tithing is a powerful technique to employ through which to achieve the discipline of spontaneous giving. Ultimately, you cannot really know that you are a giver of the whole tithe until you test yourself by putting away at the tithe the tithing practice for a period. Even one month is a good test and still wind up with an equivalent amount through spontaneous will free will giving. This may be a challenge to some who prefer to follow decimal way of giving. It is like a child learning to ride a bike with training wheels and then continuing to use the trainers through her life. 
it is unlikely that he or she will ever know if he or she could ride steadily without them. Of course, it is vital that you give into a given consciousness and let your hands give away, give way to some kind of giving flow. A disciplined program of tithing is certainly a giant step in spiritual growth. We are simply suggesting that you do not stop there. Dare to take a step beyond the tithing practice. Will this mean less giving to churches and institutions? On the contrary, it should lead to a more sustained and generous outpouring. But from people who are released from the pressures and stringencies of decimal giving to joy and affluence of true spiritual giving, in the end, worthy institutions should be more effectively supported and the givers should have increasingly a sense of fulfillment and knowing at the end of each year that their giving has actually achieved or exceeded their tithe. People who achieve the consciousness are truly ready to step forward into the new age. Okay, 15 minutes on the clock. We're going to go five minutes over class. I apologize, but it's all good. Uh, Tithy, uh, Tithy, Patsy, <laughs> take it away. My good friends call me Tithy. Uh, okay, yeah, that was lots of good stuff. Who wants to kick it off um, with something that stood out particularly for you? What stood out for me was the principle, you know, about where the the uh, Pharisee was praying, you know, about God, you know, that he was doing this in public. And Jesus basically told, said about him that he had already had his reward. And because he was doing it in public, he was already making that reward. And this is basically what stood out for me is that, you know, when you give the, to get, then you already have your reward. And I remember many years ago, and uh, I was uh, I was in my first job that I was paid in. I was a supervisor at the uh, uh, University of Texas in San Antonio at the library there, and I worked the evening shift. And I was working. I was uh, supervising the work study students, you know. And um, one of the guys, he was in one of the other uh, sections there, and he said he was depressed, so I I gave him more work. But that freed me up because I was running the circulation desk so I could give more freely of myself to the people that were, the patrons that were coming in and checking out the books. And so basically it worked for him because then later on he told me, that uh, that his depression was lifted, that he, he wasn't depressed anymore. So it worked both ways. Uh, it helped him and it helped me, but in an indirect way. And when we give to give because we can give, then it makes it everybody's work a little more easy. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Anyone else? Yeah, it's, it's Kelly. Um, I had an interesting just kind of thinking process with where he talks about a couple times about like giving up the practice of tithing um, for a time to see, you know, are, are you a joyful giver basically, you know, and at the end of the month going like, oh my gosh, I still gave 10% even without planning on it. And I really kind of contemplated that this last week of, like, is that something I want to do? Because I've been very 
I, I'm pretty regimented that, like, you know, as soon as my I, – I get, like, all my income on the first. And so I'm pretty regimented, like, on the first, I'm, like, tithe, check, tithe, check, yeah, tithe, tithe, tithe. And so I was kind of playing with the idea of, like, you know, would that be beneficial for me to give that practice up and just see how it flows um, without that? And for me, I, like, I didn't – it didn't feel to me like that was the right decision because I feel like for me, my tithing, like, yeah, I, it's very, you know, like, on the first I sit down, I'm like, okay, this is my income, you know, and I, but I feel like for me, it's not a practice of like, oh, I have to, or, oh, I'm, I'm meeting some law or I'm trying to manipulate God. For me, I like, I really use the tithe as a um, opportunity for two things is one to express gratitude and to get into the space of being grateful for the people, you know, and entities that are blessing my life and to kind of get that flow, you know, keep keep that flow going of I'm, you know, giving them financial support, but, you know, knowing that they've blessed me. But then also um, it just kind of reminds me to not, like, freak out about the money, you know, to be like, okay, well, you know, this is my, as far as I know, this is my only income for the month. And yet to be able to release that money and be like, I know that God is my source. I know that I'm taken care of. Um, I do find it to be a really useful practice. Um, and then for me, it's like, and I, and I was like, well, am I, am I limiting my giving then? I thought, no, because then even throughout the month, you know, if something comes up, I may give more to someone later or, you know, I, I don't limit it to the tithe. But it was just an interesting idea for me of like looking at like, well, you know, am I limiting my giving or is there a reason to, you know, do what he says where it's like, you'll know, give up the tithe for a while and see what happens. Um, and for me, I'd say not to. And like, for me, I think that's a real beneficial practice for now to um, support me into going into gratitude and trusting God, even though he didn't really address that. But it was an interesting thinking process for me that came up because of that recommendation that he made. Well, you know, um, Kelly, what I just heard in what you said, though, was that the, the the launching for you, you're starting from a place of already understanding the flow of giving, right? And so you're yep. seeing this as an additional tool in helping you to give more um, as opposed to it's already clear that that's not a way in which you've limited yourself. It's just a way that allows you to continue in the flow. I mean, that's what I just heard. Yep. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Who else? I'm interested to know who has a resistance to tithing. I was just going to ask that. <laughs> just back off and let you do your thing. No, 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 but that's funny. I was just going to ask that. Um, I don't have a resistance to tithing, but it seems like after reading the, it depends on your definition of tithing, I think. It seems like they were saying the Old Testament, they were made to tithe. That was like the cost. It's something you had to do. Uh, Just like we have to pay our taxes. Just like here, we have to pay in order to get something. And sometimes you have to pay to get spiritual things because uh, it costs something. But um, I think what Jesus 
I don't know. I mean, what I hear Jesus saying is just is basically your consciousness from your heart of giving. If you can't, in everything that you give, even your taxes or anything, if you can't have the consciousness of giving um, from your heart into the flow from a correct consciousness, then you're really missing a lot. You're kind of missing the boat in a way, spiritually. That's how... That's how I'm seeing it, but uh, tell me if I'm wrong, because I'd I'd like to own up to my resistance to tithing. I um, have a have a set income, and ten percent of that is a lot to give, and only because I already give so much not to the church, but to the community in service and in money and in helping people. And the, the concept of, of giving 10% to, to receive some magic that the you know, future, I've, I've never been comfortable with that. And I, and I know that we should be. We talk about tithing. We, 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 we talk about uh, the flow and fulfillment. And I need to uh, own up to the fact that, that I, I don't tithe 10% to the church. I, I, I live out of giving, you all know that, but I have a lot of resistance about, uh, about tithing as a, as a Sunday practice. And I'm willing to uh, be, be, be taught. <laughs> I think it's something where you have to go inward and really give from your heart. And you'll notice that you are giving maybe over 10% to various things. Uh, it's something between you and God. There's a lot of reasons why somebody would have a resistance to it. But I like that when they said, don't think about the people you're giving to, just give and not think about anything else. You're giving. And because um, there's all these things you can think about, well, what's the money going to? What's, what are they really using it for? And uh, I'm not talking about this ministry at all, by the way. I'm thinking of my past places where I've given money. But um, this is saying just don't even have that in your consciousness, which I think is really a thought that I haven't really thought about much. Because I've heard so, I've heard it said over and over, give to something that you really want to see prosper. So, um, you know, I'm sorry, Lisa. Repeat that last thing. Give to something. Give to something you really would like to see. Uh, what they call it in the religious uh, forms is give to good ground. Give to something that you really want to see it grow. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yes. If you give to something bad, then you're giving you're contributing to something bad growing. 
But in this, I noticed that it didn't really, kind of went the opposite way on that one in the writing here. It says don't really think about that so much. Just give. And I can see the real spirituality in that. That's a whole different way of consciousness to look at it like that. Um, I, I like what Kelly had to say earlier in terms of using it as as an exercise in trusting and relying on spirit. Um, I know that the the past a couple of months has been a little bit challenging for me financially, and I've and I've 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 been tithing, but I think the tithe for me, I mean, you know, aside from from the the spiritual reasons as to why you would want to give, but I also think that in many ways the tithing for me has been an exercising and trusting and relying on spirit and trusting and relying on that flow, which um, has has been really useful and really effective for me. Um, I have a, a question, Jesse, I'm going to ask you, and... Uh, it's an issue of clarification. Um, it, it's a, it may be a semantical thing, but when we discuss tithing, we are speaking specifically about money, correct? So the reason I'm asking this is I have had um, many instances in the recent past, including the most recent past, in which I've had no income, um, and uh, I've I've made statements along the lines of I will tithe my time and my uh, my work or my efforts, my talents. So I will make sure that this percentage of time I'm setting aside to dedicate to this thing. Um, but that's technically not a tithe, correct? That's an offering. Sorry. Um, I think that, you know, uh, you tell me. You know what I mean? Uh, I've I've heard uh, specific um, prosperity teachers say, you know, tithe what you're looking to uh, to experience more of. You know, um, you know if you're if you're interested in experiencing a greater flow of financial freedom, tithe money. If you're interested in having more time on your hands, time your time, tithe your time, um, and. You know, I feel like with everything on your spiritual journey, everything is very personal, you know. And, uh, you know, say what you want. When it comes to money, it gets personal with everybody. It gets personal, except for those that are feel really abundant or wealthy, you know. Uh, then they're like, yeah, of course I get my money. But a lot of people, I think that's how they contribute it. They, they supply the financial means in order to create what they're interested in seeing created on the planet, kind of like what Lisa was talking about. Um, you know, uh, so tithing, you, I, I think you can tithe your time. I think you can tithe your goods. I think you can tithe your services. I think you can tithe money. Um, you know, it, being a being in the position of being the spiritual director, being the minister, knowing that part of my job is to make sure that we have that we are creating the resources of, uh, enough to uh, make sure that the church 
can run. I'm going to invite everybody to put yourselves on mute now um, because there's some background noise. Um, you know, I'm faced with being, oh, my God, I'm in that position now. And I remember that I used to be so resistant towards giving my money because I always thought, oh, here comes the pitch. He's going to ask for my money now because there's that archetypal greedy minister, greedy preacher archetype that I did not want to, I was not going to let him get my money because I was smarter than him. And I was not going to be manipulated by him. And now that I um, can feel sometimes, I, just somebody this last week said something about, well, I'd like to go, but they charge money for everything in Inspire. And I was like, oh my gosh, really? Like, I, as I feel like there's suggested donation on everything, but I'm not I'm, but I'm not going to back away. Uh, I don't want to enter a codependent relationship or get in, in, enrolled into somebody's, um, you know, st- a story of lack or not enough and resentment against there being a suggested donation because the law of giving, I'm not being a good teacher if I don't teach, you know, the law of exchange, if I don't teach the law of giving, if I don't invite people to get out of their comfort zone. Because oftentimes their comfort zone is not enough, not having enough. And, and this thing of entitlement of, I expect you to give it to me for free. And I'm not going to give you anything in return. Or, uh, you know, I've noticed a lot of people, um, they often, ex- their, their, their um, exchange is often uh, physical, sexual, something like that, even though they don't realize that you know, if you take care of me, then I will provide, you know, I will be your, I will be subservient to you. I will, I will exchange my body for you taking care of me, something like that, even though that's not, it's easily interpreted as something else. And so when that means of exchange is not accepted by an institution, then there's resentment. You're not accepting my, um, my currency that I feel comfortable giving. You know, and so when it comes to money, it's a very sensitive subject because we make it sensitive. But I say, let's just put it out on the table. And I encourage everyone, the practitioners especially, as they're developing their spiritual program to, like Kelly said, I say tithe 10%, especially if it scares you. And because, and I share that only because I have seen it work miracles in my life. I have seen it work. Miracles in my life. Me, my practice of tithing, tithing when I didn't think I had it, tithing when it scared me, tithing when I really felt like if I did it then I was going to have to sacrifice something else. Tithing first, you know, as soon as I got money, I tithed. It helped me understand flow in a real way. And it also supported me in developing loving discipline in my practice. And now, today, I tithe more than 10%. I tithe more than 10% of my income uh, to uh, people, places, and institutions that feed my soul. And I tithe to persons, places, and institutions that feed my soul because that is how I acknowledge God active in my life. And I say thank you because you are my source. God is my source. God through my clients. God through you all. God through the church, God through, um, you know, the people that I do work for is active and expressing itself as abundance in my life. And if somebody gifts me money, I tithe on that because that is God active in my life and I acknowledge 
God. I love to acknowledge God by, um, you know, tied into my teachers. And it's a, I also see it as a process of planting seeds in my garden. What seeds am I, am I, what am I harvesting in my garden? You know, and what fertilizer am I feeding it? And I'm interested in experiencing um, abundance and prosperity. I'm interested in having more money than I can spend, and I have absolutely zero shame in saying that, and I don't think anybody ever should, because I know what I'm interested in creating, and I know what I'd like to put that money towards. And every time I think of having money, I always think, oh, my gosh, what could we do with it? You know, how could we, you know, support the artists in our community so they can share their art? How can we have more resources for our community? How can we have a bigger space that can house more people and offer more programs? How can we, you know, and so I get really excited by the ministry that can evolve through those resources. And also I know that it's not necessarily through financial resources, but Sometimes I receive in ways that are not financial, you know, because what it is doing, what tithing is designed to do, like Butterworth said, is to introduce you and help you become masterful in the law of giving. And if you feel resistance financially, then I say that is exactly where you should be practicing your tithing. Wherever we have resistance is exactly where we should go into and dive on in headfirst and become really masterful in it because I have found, and I believe anybody on a spiritual path that's been on there for a little while probably has the clarity now to say that where I was the most resistant was exactly where I needed the most growth. My answered prayer was in the area of my life that I was resisting. And so 10% of all money's in, oh my gosh, that brings up so much stuff with people. It brought up so much stuff with me. But in working with that, so many miracles availed themselves. themselves. I'm not interested in magical thinking. I am not interested in superstitious giving. I'm not interested in any of that. But I can share from experience my willingness to develop a disciplined uh, practice of tithing supported me in changing my life, deepening my spiritual practice, understanding the law of giving, availing myself to... um, And let me tell you something else. Since Inspire has started tithing, and Kelly could uh, back me up on this, since Inspire has started tithing regularly, we have been making so much more money. And we are uh, being able to get so many more resources since the company itself started typing. So I think that it is all about flow. Like we talked about in the law of giving, our natural, um, it is, we are in alignment with our natural state of being with our nature when we are giving. Tithing is a tool that supports us in um, aligning with that. Is there something magical with the number 10? No, absolutely not. However, it is practiced in so many um, philosophies that I say, well, why couldn't God have an inspired idea that has manifested as that? So we can work with that, we can play with that, and we can see what happens. And if it doesn't work for you, then don't do it. I always say, do what works. But be willing to go into the places in your life that feel uncomfortable, where there are resistance, so that you can experience 
uh, an expanded perspective and and, uh, prepare the way for miracle readiness. You know, I'll just add quickly. I grew up um, in a home, a tithing home. My parents have always tithed. And I remember I have a constant memory from childhood of my father um, on payday. He would come home and he'd sit at the kitchen table and he'd have the bills there and uh, the checkbook. And the first check he would always write would be the tithe check. And then he would you know, dole out whatever else for bills. And I was about 12 years old, and I asked him one time um, why he insisted on tithing. So, like, why he was so rigid about it. And he was very matter-of-fact. He just said, you know, I, there's no, there's nothing in my life that's more important to me than my relationship with God. And my relationship with God constantly gets stretched and grown and 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 all of that through... Um, spiritual community and so why would I not give to that the same way I give to the power company to make sure the lights are on and you know spend money to sort of make sure there's food in the fridge and that's kind of always what I saw you know yeah beautiful and let us all collectively do away with this idea of giving to the earth Give until you are free. Give until you are free. Not give till it hurts. Because I promise you, if you're giving freely without the need to get, you can't experience that. You can't experience pain. There might be discomfort on the path, but it won't hurt. That's the path of freedom. It's the path of freedom. So let us go within. Let's place a hand on our heart. And let's take a breath of gratitude. And I'm, again, I'm just going to invite everybody in this last moment. Just put your phone on mute. There's some background noise there. So if your phone isn't on mute, go ahead and do that now. And we just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for all of these great teachings. Thank you, God, for allowing us to have a space to authentically share where our resistance is active in our life. Thank you, God, for giving us a sacred space, a beautiful community. And we place in the center of our circle right here now, we place our music ministry. And we just infuse the music ministry with so much light. And we just hold the space of a prosperous um, ministry in which all of our musicians are able to get paid and be of service. But we are able to bring in guest musicians holding the space of being a space where people would love to come share their gifts and talents. And we have the container to support them, to acknowledge them, to allow them to be in alignment with their ministry. Yes. And we just hold, we just feel the music and the brilliance and the genius of poor sport through our musicians, knowing that they are part of our emerging um, ministry, this global ministry, knowing that they are, are supporting everyone and opening their hearts so they can receive even more clearly the messages of truth that channel through our speakers, knowing that the purpose of the music is to open our hearts, to align us, to prepare us. Yes, God, yes. Thank you so much. I just really honor 
Katsi and Mar and all of our musicians, and you're sending them ways and ways of love. And I am seeing just a thriving music ministry. I'm seeing a thriving prayer ministry. I'm seeing a thriving practitioner ministry. I'm seeing a thriving giving ministry. I'm seeing a thriving hospitality ministry. I'm seeing a thriving educational program. I'm seeing thriving uh, pastoral care ministry. I'm seeing every mouth fed. I'm seeing every belly full. I'm seeing every heart open. I'm seeing a smile on everybody's face. I'm seeing plenty of supply. I'm seeing more money than we can spend, and I'm seeing that money put to good use on this planet. I am seeing everything, every dollar spent put towards the actualization and realization of world peace, of education, of shelter, of, mm, yes. Oh, thank you, God. How wonderful it is to live in a place where we can play and create collectively. And I just send this prayer. I'm planting seeds in the heart of each and every person on this call, knowing that our hearts are blossoming a little more, expanding a little more. How grateful I am to participate and play with each and every one of you. I love you all so much. And allow this love to move through each and every one of us. This good medicine that we send out into the interwebs and share with the collective, knowing that as we heal, everybody heals. With our heart and mind in perfect congruency, we go forward in a state of celebration, and we let it be. And so it is. Amen, amen, amen. Yes. I love you all so much. Have a beautiful night. Um, uh, Reach out, email Kelly if you'd like details on the... um, movie and food truck event for tonight for her birthday. We're going to go see the breakfast club and uh, the food trucks and picnics and all the fun stuff. Um, of course, in kickball's playing at 4 p.m. today at Poinsettia Parks. If you want to come cheer us on? And tomorrow, uh, Michael Lennox is singing uh, service, and we are going to bring it all down at 1130. Who's, who's on hospitality tomorrow? Anybody know? Do they know? Do I have someone volunteer that will uh, come at 1030 anyway, even if you're not technically signed up? Do we have extra hands on deck? Well, I'll put it it out there, and if you feel inspired, you know where to find us. I love you all so much, and um, go have a beautiful rest of your weekend. Bye now. Bye.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.